Father, we just want to say that we love you. We acknowledge that you're not just an important figure, but you're preeminent above all. And Lord, we know that those who are in the sun will have the sun's victory. And Father, even as we just go to your word, Father, we pray that we will not just be informed, but Lord, I pray that you transform us by your Holy Spirit, Lord. We choose to behold you. And Lord, I pray that you will do something in our inner man, Lord. We want to grow, Lord, into your likeness. We ask all of this for your glory, for your name, and for your renown. And everybody say, Amen. If you have your Bibles, can we turn together to Acts chapter 12? For the next 35 minutes or so, we will just concentrate on one chapter from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. And I recently saw this quote on social media, and it's from Charles Dickens. And he said, it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And uh, when I read that, something just clicked in me, and I just felt a prophetic word that arise in my soul. And usually when I read something, or I study something, or watch something, and then something, a prophetic button begins to click in me, I know like, oh, I need to speak on it, I need to work on it. And this passage suggests an age of radical opposites taking place across the English Channel. It tells a story or contrast between London and Paris during the French Revolution in 1789. And I think even in this period, this is quite true for many of us. Because during the lockdown two years ago, Circuit Breaker, I have couples coming up to me and say, Pastor Elijah, wow, right now our marriage is incredible now. Our marriage is doing so much better now because both of us, we are working from home. I say, wow, that's so good. But the pain of isolation weighed on other people's mental health in a way that was crippling. And some of them, their jobs were affected, their family suffered. In some ways, it was the worst of times for them. And so I read, I began to like, uh, I want to do my research on this book. So I began to read the first page of a tale of two CDs. And here's what Charles Dickens says. He said, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. And for us right now, in this day and age, even in our journey of faith, there are things that are like, wow, there's flourishing, there's growth, there's blessings here, there's incredible fruits. But there are also things that seem to cripple us and we are stuck and we cannot move forward. And the real question today that I want to bring to all of us is how can both exist at the same time? Or if I can say, how can we have the best of times even in the worst of times? Amen? And that's just true of a fallen and broken world that we are living in right now. That we see both beauty and pain right next to each other. And we see both hope and brokenness together. And then when you read the book of Acts chapter 12, it's a really full, beautiful case on how both of these things can be present at the same time. Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 reveals that Herod killed James, the brother of John, and he proceeded to arrest Peter. And let's just say that... When it's a very bad day in church if your leaders are getting arrested and getting killed, amen? Something went very, very wrong. Something tragic happened. And we can see from history and even now, there's an increasing momentum and war against the kingdom of God and His purposes. It's like a great big rehearsal for the great tribulation that's shown in the book of Revelations. Because for centuries, men have been uh, um, um, clenching their fists in the face of God, striving to pit their will against Him, against His word, and against His purposes. And it's all inspired by the enemy. But can I say to you, it's always futile. 
Amen? Because in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30, Solomon sub it up when he said, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. In other words, there's no way you can fight him and win. Amen? The Lord will always have the victory. And many have tried through the centuries and are still doing it to fight God, to fight his word, and they all end up the same way. There might be a temporal moment of triumph in an earthly way, but ultimately, we can see there's always eternal disaster. And from what we can see from church history and from the book of Acts, the Lord's church is built to flourish in the face of opposition. I want to say that once again, and I pray that the Spirit of God will drive that deep down into our souls, that the the Lord's church is meant, is built to flourish in the face of opposition. Amen? And Acts chapter 12, starting verse 1, we read it a moment ago, but I want to read it again slowly, more in context. And, and it says that about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on those who belonged to the church. And the question is, what time? He mentioned what time, right? And, and a band of prophets in the previous chapters prophesied that a severe famine will be coming. So we see that the church is now facing severe famine and now Herod killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that he pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So things seemed to be getting from bad to worse. And this was during the days of unleavened bread when he had seized him and he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers. This means like, 16 guards, right, just guarding him, intending after the Passover to bring him up to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. And Herod Agrippa one had been educated in Rome, but carefully cultivated the good graces of the Jewish people. And uh, I, you need to know some things about him, okay? This person is a bit of a chameleon, all right? So he was raised in Rome, he was friends with the insane emperor Caligula. If you can go home and do your research on this emperor, he's really crazy, all right? And Herod made himself like a Roman citizen. He's the very definition of when you are in Rome, do what the Romans do, all right? But when he was around the Jews, he would do whatever it took to fit in and to please the Jews. And when he saw that this was pleasing to the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And you need to know that this Herod is not anti-church in the purest sense. He's just pro-Herod. So everything he do is very calculated. Everything he do was just a political move. His world is making much about himself. And by now, the Jerusalem church has grown to be thousands of people. And at this very moment, they begin to feel the hurt from the severe food shortage due to the famine. And Peter was a key man. He was a key leader of the church. And Herod thought, if I can just get the leader, I can decimate the ranks, right? The church will crumble. His plan, notice the end of verse 4, was to bring Peter forth, to bring him forth. And the idea was to bring Peter up to the tribunal for what? Public trial. He was going to put him on public display, just like Jesus had been put on display by Pontius Pilate. So right now, it seems like there's a battle, like a tale of two kingdoms. And Herod's kingdom seems to be winning. But verse 6 would reveal a supernatural intervention by the Lord. When Herod was about to bring him out, on the very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound by two chains. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. 
kick him, <laughs> struck him by the side and say, hey, get up, get up quickly. And can I just say, I love Peter, right? Because something has changed in him. If you read the Gospels, you can see that he always reacts violently when there's opposition, all right? And he was the one who denied Christ three times. When he saw that the enemy soldiers would be coming, he would like, got his sword, he cut off the ear of, of, of the soldier. And you know that this guy is just very emotional. But right now, we see from the text that he, they are about to execute him soon. He's going to be put on public trial. But he was taking a nap beforehand. His posture is so at rest right now because he's so full of the Spirit and he knew the promises of God. He remembered Jesus' words. What do I mean by this? Because John chapter 21, Jesus prophesied and said, Peter, when you were young, you go where you wanted. You did what you wanted to do. When you get old, you will stretch forth your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you wouldn't want to go. And this he said, signifying by what death he should glorify God. Do you know why Peter was so at peace, at rest, sleeping in his jersey? Because he knew his time had not yet come. He had nothing to fear. And there's one great security that all of us believers have. And what's that? It's the promises of God. Amen? Do you know why you don't need to lose sleep when you are financially constrained? Because the scripture says, my God shall supply all your needs. And that's a promise. Amen? The second feature that put Peter at rest, that allowed him to sleep soundly, was past performance. Because if you look at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, Peter was in jail before, and he was miraculously rescued. So he went to sleep because he knew two things. He knew future promise and past performance. Amen? Do you know why I trust God? Because of what He said He's going to do and what He has already done in my life. And so if He's done what He's done in the past and will do what He said He's going to do in the future, I'm definitely not going to worry about the present. Amen? I'm going to be so secure in past testimonies as well as his future promise. And in verse 8, the angel said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And then they passed the first and the second guard and they came to the iron gate leading into the city and he opened for them of his own accord. And they went out and immediately the angel left him and the Lord just rescued Peter. And I want to take one minute to talk about angelic miracles, right? Pastor Tim Chong, just this weekend, I wrote about this in his latest pastor's blog. I didn't know about it until I saw it yesterday, and I think it was remarkable. And he said, uh, from the earliest history, there has been a conscious awareness of angelic protection afforded to the people of God, even in their everyday affairs. And it takes a childlike faith to believe and see, contrary to what the world proclaims, that seeing is believing. And even in our unregenerate state, these heavenly messengers often protect us while guiding us and moving us to the ways of righteousness and salvation. And he also added this in the last part. Someone once asked me, since we have got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, why do we still need angels? To which I replied, if there's a time when we need the special power and blessings of heaven in our lives, it is right now. <laughs> because we live in troubled times and we need all the help we can get. Amen. And I pray that all of you will have angelic visitation. Amen. So Peter now went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. And while they were gathered there, what were they doing? Acts revealed that they were having a prayer meeting for God to intervene. And the first thing they did was to prioritize prayer. They didn't organize a prison relief committee, but they started praying because they knew the source of power was prayer. And I love what it says. It says, but prayer was made without ceasing without stopping. And the word doesn't just mean without stopping, nearly 
as much as it means intensely, all right? Intensely. It's the word actinos. It comes from the root word actinus, and it's a medical term which means stretching a muscle to its limit. It means total effort. It means they were so lost in prayer. And verse 13 shows that when he knocked at the door, a servant girl named Rhoda came in and, and recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she forgot to open the door. She ran in and reported to those who were praying, that, hey, Peter is at the door. And this is funny because they said to her, you are out of your mind, that's crazy. But she kept insisting, no, I promise you that it's Peter. And then they keep saying, no, it's his angel. But Peter is outside, continue knocking on the door. And the Jews have a very unique um, Jewish tradition and they believe that every Jew had an angel of his own a guided angel and that angel would materialize in the form and the face of that very person and so perhaps this was a, uh, Peter's angels or so they thought so when somebody died their guided angel who resembled them would show up to present themselves to let everyone know or rather their loved one know the bad news and funny, the funny thing was they were praying for his deliverance but they kept expecting that he would be dead. Isn't that amazing? And now I think how awesome it was that while praying, the answer to their prayers came walking into the prayer meeting. Amen? And it's incredible that not only was Peter uh, delivered, but verse 20 onwards reveals that Herod, Herod fell deeper into pride when Herod accepted the praises men for God and God personally, supernaturally, intervene and what happened was the people of Tyre and Sidon came to Herod and they said give us peace because they wanted and they needed Herod's food from his entire kingdom to survive and in verse 21 it says on an appointed day Herod put on his royal robes took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them and the people were shouting the voice of a god and not a man immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I, I tried to Google videos of this. Quite gory, but I was like very interested. Like, but I cannot find. But an incredible outcome, right? Herod dies, and the kingdom of Herod was gone. And Luke would say in verse 24 that the word of God increased and multiplied. The kingdom of God kept increasing instead of being destroyed. And I really believe, friends, that sometimes we live in this present reality that it is the best of times and the worst of times. And it seemed like the Herodic Empire, through many years, were inflicting damage on the kingdom of light. We can see three Herods in the entire Gospels in the book of Acts. First, you have Herod the Great, and we read about him in Matthew chapter 2, around the birth of Christ. And he was the crazy king who gave the order of execution of all male children, two years old and under. He was that man. And one of his sons was Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was the one who beheaded John the Baptist and presided over Jesus' trial. And one of Herod the Great's grandsons is this current Herod, Herod Agrippa I. And this entire family and empire was evil. And it seemed like I keep reading the stories that they, keep, they, they, keep, they seem to be keep gaining power and over and over again. But in its ordained time, what happened? God stepped in. In an instant, Herod was struck down there was no fight, no competition. And I want to say to you, some of you, you've been praying for years, years, and you don't see any breakthrough. But I say to you that breakthrough can come in an instant. Amen? And I want to say to you some thoughts, some summary from this entire story, that first, there is a warfare. 
a spiritual battle for our minds and our souls because the enemy wants to derail us from God's perfect plan. He wants us to give up due to fear and disappointment. He wants to rob you of your joy and your peace. I'm not talking about happiness, okay? I'm talking about joy because why? Happiness can be taken from you in, from an instant. But joy can remain in you in the different seasons of life because it's imparted sovereignly by the grace of God. Amen? And tough times are coming and it's a present reality. And sometimes we get so discouraged and we say, what's the point of contending? But John Barrett said this. I want you to hear this. That a Christian never falls asleep in the fire or in the water but grows drowsy in the sunshine. Incredible, right? And C.S. Lewis said this, that God whispers to us in our pledges, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. And we need to understand many doctrinal truths in our mind, yes, but those truths seldom make the journey down to our heart except through disappointment, failure, and loss. And can I say this with, with, with such love in my heart, that suffering sometimes is God's graciousness to remind us that, hey, this is not our home. This is not our home. Amen? And I witnessed how my friends have grieved, but with hope, and they remember what God has done and what He has promised. Um, I'm going to share a short testimony, and I asked Pastor Pehan for his permission, and he agreed. Um, his father suffered from cancer last year, and we were praying and contending. And, uh, and this happened last month, because last month uh, his father was at home, and he fell down. And uh, he could not stand up because he was very weak. And then they called an ambulance. The paramedics came and they brought him to the hospital. And because of that, they did a test. They realized that not only he has cancer, but at that particular moment, he was suffering from COVID. All right? And, and, and um, Pastor Pehan and his entire family also had COVID. So, so because of that, they could not go to the hospital to visit the father. But his condition was getting from bad to worse. And then the doctor called up the family and said, oh, you need to come down right now because... He's not going to make it. The next 24 hours, he's not going to make it. But the sad thing was, Pastor Pehan could not go to the hospital because he had to stay home, right? And all the regulations, he could not go to the hospital. So um, his dad passed away, and, and, and I, I could feel the, the sorrow in his heart um, from my good friend, Pastor Pehan's heart. And, um, and because the doctor deemed it as a COVID death, um, they could not have it as an open casket. You get what I mean? They, it's like closed casket. So even in the wake service, right, he could not see the dad's face. I mean, like, um, I don't know. It's very hard to put yourself in your brother's shoes, right? And I'm a man, and I try to be very encouraging, but there's only so much words can say. So every few days, I say, hey, do you need food? You know? I want to deliver food to you. I want to deliver food to you. And then one day, he said, bro, why do you keep asking me whether I'm hungry? I said, I'm trying my best. I want to empathize and love you, but, um, I, but I was just there for him, so to speak. Lah. But um, he, said, he shared this with me about how the Lord encouraged him. It was during the cremation service, and Pastor Wiling was the one doing the service, okay? Uh, and she's one of our most precious pastors, full of the grace and, and the love for Christ. And she was sharing a message, and people were getting encouraged. Then suddenly, she just turned to Pastor behind. She said, do you know, one year ago, exactly this time, March 2021, you wrote a pastor's blog. And the title of the blog is, One Lamp Per Household. And Pastor Pehan like, oh, I forgot about it. And he began to recall why he wrote the blog and what he wrote in the blog. And, and he wrote that blog because um, during that period, his father had just been water baptized. They had been contending for years and his father had been water baptized. Pastor Ting Chong did the entire ceremony and the family, because they had, they had issues, but they came together for that one moment and they celebrated the goodness of God. And, and, and through that sharing, Pastor 
Wellington to Pastor Pihan and said, do you know what you wrote? One lamp per household. You were telling all of us, the church, that even though you don't see the goodness of God, there's always hope. I want to read to you an excerpt of what he wrote one year ago. He said, maybe some of us have been praying for years and even decades for family salvation. Being amidst brokenness and sin at home, it can often seem like our prayers are not being answered. There were moments I felt this way. It was a long, tough journey for me, and I learned some valuable lessons along the way. A vital lesson is that God wasn't just dealing with my family members. He was dealing with my own heart. The Lord led me through a process of repentance to root out my inferior faulty beliefs and replace them with truth. And I had to repent for not trusting Him for my family's salvation and not having faith that He can do something. But the road to salvation, restoration, and deliverance often leads down the path of perseverance. Amen. A farmer does not enjoy the plowing and the sowing because it's hard work. In fact, he sows in tears because he knows the toy will produce enjoyable seasons in future. But without a vision of seeing our families come to the Lord, we'll settle for surviving each day instead of a planted field that eventually yields a plentiful harvest. However, we may have to sacrifice, persevere, and undergo painful moments for a brighter future. And when he read that as a reminder, he began to think, God has been good. I don't know why this happened, but God's promises came true that me and my household served the Lord and my dad is now in heaven. And through that, he was so encouraged. I want to say to some of you that you've been contending for your family members. It's like a farmer, you've been plowing in tears, but keep persevering, amen? You will see the fulfillment of God. God's promises are true, amen? Amen? Next up, I want to say that God is always working behind the scenes. It may seem like the heraldic kingdom is winning, but the kingdom of God is always moving forward. You know, the church in Acts might be thinking, what on earth is going on? James is cute, Peter is arrested, and now we are in a famine. <laughs> but God is working behind the scenes because the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and, he, and to destroy. Every day, right, the enemy just has one thing in mind. It's like, I want to kill, to steal, and destroy. But scripture says that Christ comes to give life and life more abundantly. Amen? And, 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 and Genesis chapter 3 is talking about the enemy. He said, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. But the promise in Romans chapter 6 verse 17 is for all of us, is that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Not Christ's feet, but under your feet. Because whoever is in the sun, come on, will have the sun's victory. Amen? Whoever's in the sun will have the sun's victory. And we, we should never think there's not going to be any damage or suffering or loss because we see it in the text. James dies, Peter gets imprisoned, but at the same time, there's hope and victory in Christ. Amen? Next, I want to say, go against your default. Go against the narrative of the world. And throughout the book of Acts, whenever there's opposition or there's any display of the works of the enemy or any death of their own, you can always read this phrase after that. It says, the word and the works of God prevail and multiply. And sometimes when we see what's happening in the world, it's all easy to go back to our default. Due to fear, we go back to the default of safety and self-preservation. We think to ourselves, let us just do whatever we can to survive. The world is getting darker, and I will just invest and save for my family. There's no point reaching out. Please, lah, I'm already tithing. Now you want to talk about giving and generosity. There's COVID, there's war. Now you want to talk about evangelism. Why are you having a missions forum during this period? 
are you crazy? But can I just ask, um, what would you pray to the Lord if you know that your days will become darker and more dangerous? And I ask this question, I see in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, something very remarkable. The early church, they came together, and after they've been under intense persecution and hardship, they prayed this prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Stretch up your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The early, the early church came together and they prayed not for safety, not for guidance, but they prayed for bonus and for the Lord to continue performing miracles through their hands. Amen? So countercultural. And in Acts, we also see radical hospitality and radical generosity. The Greek word for hospitality is beautiful, right? It's philoxenia. It's a compound combining philios, which is related to the word philio, which means friend, and xenos, which means foreigner. And rather than fear of the other, hospitality is love for the other. And uh, every time we think hospitality, it's like martyrs to it, right? You have cookies and flowers, invite friends over with a smile. But biblical hospitality is showing grace and mercy to whoever needs it. That every time you meet someone you, with the light and the power and the love of God, you can release the grace and mercy of God into someone's life. And that's radical, biblical hospitality. Amen? And because loving the stranger and our community is the heart of the gospel. Amen? And in Acts, it reveals there was a severe famine and Herod's taxation was crazy. Yet in the midst of all of this, the book of Acts, now also in chapter 4, reveals 32 uh, verse 32 to 35, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was destroyed distributed to each as any who had any need. So this is quite crazy, right? It's unheard of. It's so countercultural, And I'm so quite encouraged by our church because our upcoming T&E course uh, in April, one of the causes is called um, Financial Stewardship and Generosity. And from the synopsis, we were very clear that generosity is not just you have a lot you give, but it's a posture of who you are. In every season of your life, because of what God has done in your life, you can be generous. And I was so encouraged to see that it's one of the most registered causes, all right? And I'm so proud of our people. And I realized for the past two years, we did not have causes on like how to survive a pandemic. But we keep having causes like healing, deliverance. Even two years ago, we had a course on church planting, how we can be a church planter. And last year, we had our first uh, missions blueprint course. Because at the end of the day, whenever we plan on how to train and equip the church, one thing is in our mind, is that the kingdom of God has to advance forward. Amen? Even in the chaos and the brokenness, we are not a cruise ship. The pastor always say, we are not a cruise ship, we are a battleship. And the kingdom of God will always advance forward. Amen? You know Caesar Hadrian in Rome, he could not understand why the Christians were thriving in the midst of persecution. 
I mean, the more he killed them, the more he, he threw them to lions and burned them with fire. But the more the church grew, he was like, wow, this is crazy. He could not understand why this was happening. And this was unlike any uprising or rebellion they had to crush in the past. And this happened 80 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he realized this group of people, the Christians, they are unlike the Goths, they are unlike the Picts, they are unlike the Zealots, they are unlike the Saxons. Like, um, they came with violence and we crushed them and they are gone. But these Christians, the more we crushed them, the more they grew. They're such a unique group of people. Very different. So he was like, ah, oh, why? So he sent an undercover guy to, to go and go to the ranks, like, to go to the church, just to find out uh, what's so unique and special about this group of Christians. So this undercover guy went in, and he, was, he spent a f- uh, quite a while there, and he sent a letter to Caesar. Right? I want to read this letter to you. Um, the media department told me I can't pull out the whole letter because it's, the words are way too small, but I'm going to read to you excerpts of the letter, if you can bear with me, all right? He said, But the Christians, O king, they know and trust in God, the creator of heaven and all earth, from whom they received the commandments which they have engraved upon their minds and observed in hope and expectation of the world that is to come. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem, and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly, and he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother, for they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And if there's among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. It is enough for us to have shortly informed your majesty concerning the conduct and the truth of the Christians. For great indeed and wonderful is their doctrine to him who was searched into it and reflect upon it. And verily, this is a new people and there is something divine in the midst of them. When the world looks at you, can they say there is something divine in the midst of them? Because doctrine on its own is powerless. If your doctrine does not lead you to a greater doxology and worship, to the Lord Jesus Christ and lead you to greater love for people, then it's useless. But because of what you know, your conviction in your heart, it leads you to greater worship. And, 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 and Caesar realized that, wow, we cannot destroy them with swords and crucifixion because the way they grew, because they showed the love of Christ to all around them. And the, the, the people in Rome, they were like, what these people say is the real deal. Amen? Amen? And my prayer is that there will be always be something divine in the midst of us, in the midst of darkness and fear and the worst of times. The light in us has to shine. Amen? Because we carry with us the physical representation of the defeat of darkness. And sometimes our default is just to critique and complain and to groan. But what if the Lord is birthing in us redemptive solutions for the brokenness of the world? Some of you, you are seeing things, right? And you're like, oh, I cannot, I cannot. You see divorce cases, you see uh, rebellion in your family, you see financial issue, you're seeing the world, you're like, I have whatever, forget it. But what if the Lord is giving you new lenses to say that there is a redemptive solution in everything because of the light and the love of Christ in your heart? Amen? And the last I want to share with you, very cliche, but it's true. Never stop praying because prayer works. 
And it's not just an ordinance, but you need to believe by faith that things shift when you pray. And it's not just passive, positive thinking, but it's active warfare. Amen? And in the book of Acts, we can see that the early church kept praying from the early church and uh, from the upper room in Acts chapter 2 onwards. There are two features here that I want us to notice. One is their unity, and the next is their perseverance. Unity and perseverance. And their unity was not simply the fact that they were together in one room, but it's also that they were all of one mind. They had a singular focus that the kingdom of God has to advance. Amen? And sometimes it's hard to believe for a miracle, but have faith to believe that what we pray for will come to pass. James was killed, but they persevered. And verse 16, remarkable, that Peter walked in and saw them praying for him. My heart's cry is that God will walk in and catch us praying for the things that he's doing. They were praying for deliverance, for someone to be set free. And the person they were praying for walked into the very room that they were praying in. And I feel this is a prophetic word for some of you this year, that prayer is active warfare and you will see the chains fall off. You will see the fulfillment of what you have sowed in prayer and tears in 2021 come true in 2022. That this year, the joy of the Lord shall be your strength. You will see the fruits of what you've been contending for. Keep persevering, keep praying. Amen? And you know, after Peter was rescued, in verse 11, Peter said to himself, wow, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches. And when he realized it, what did he do? The most logical thing would be go to another city, right? And uh, just to give you context, this is the last time we see any active involvement of Peter in the entire book of Acts. This is the last time we hear about Peter, okay? And, and he was thinking, okay, let's move on because the kingdom of God has to move forward, right? And, and he, he did go to other cities and he did preach the gospel. But the first thing he did before he escaped was he saying, I need to go to the house where the believers are congregating and gathering to pray because I need to tell them what happened. Why? Because those Christians were under persecution. They saw that James was killed. And you know what they needed more than anything? They needed two things. They needed to know that God was still in control. Because it does seem that Herod was still winning. And next, they need to know that miracles do happen, that God answered prayers. And they've been praying for so long and they've not been seeing anything. And Peter knew in his mind that I need to see them. I need to remind them how powerful God is. I need to show them, because you pray, this is the answer. He needed to remind them. I think the whole visit was about 10 to 20 minutes because he needed, to, he needed to escape. And I really believe there must be a maturing of the bride of Christ in regards to intercession and warfare. And we see what's happening in the world, in Ukraine and in Russia. And I'm just grieved, okay? I'm, I'm so grieved and my heart's burden is for the lost because the oppressed is close to the heart of God. And I'm not, I'm not like, oh, let's, I hate this person, let's tear down this person. No, my entire intercession is, Lord, save them. Save them. Let the light of Christ come. Do you know that Jesus did not once teach his disciples how to defeat the Herodic Empire? Since his birth, the Herod seems to be wrecking havoc, destroying the church. But Jesus did not talk about that empire at all because he knew that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Perhaps, okay, perhaps once he did call Herod a fox, remember? That fox! But in the entire time he, when he was with disciples, the heart of his sermon, his miracles, his acts, and whatever he said, all had to do with bring the loss to his father. 
setting the captives free, healing the sick, delivering those who are oppressed because his heart is for the broken. Amen? He spent a lot of time teaching them about prayer, the kingdom of heaven, and the great commission. So let's not be distracted from what we are supposed to do because his heart is for the lost. And my prayer is this year that all of us will have something in our heart that lets us reach someone to the lost. Amen? And even in your prayer to what's happening in the world, let the, the burden of the Lord, don't just pray from what you see from the news and social media. Pray from the heart of the Father. You want to know the heart of the Father? Go to the secret room, seek His face, and read the Gospels. His heart is for the lost. Amen? Um, I want to share one last testimony before we end. And um, it's from one of our CGN pastors, our Cornerstone Global Network pastors. I put it very clearly in my notes. Elijah, do not use her name. <laughs> because I know, I, I, every time we're very excited, in, I, in my enthusiasm, I might blurt out her name, but because of security, I can't use her name. I, I remember about, in January, um, um, I was having like a prayer meeting with a few guys. I think almost every night, Pastor will call about two or three guys. Um, just one agenda, to pray for revival. So almost every night we'll be on the phone. But at this particular night, Pastor Yang said, let's pray about something else. Let's pray about this particular pastor because she's in Myanmar. And, uh, but the, the military forces were coming and she had to flee to another nation. She had to flee to Thailand. Can you imagine that the years of just building, just crumble, and then you have to run with your family to another nation, okay? So while we were praying, right, um, I think she was about to cross. So we are like, God, safety, Lord. Safety, that angelic activity, Lord. We pray for signs and wonders. Protect them in the name of Jesus. We keep praying and praying. And uh, that was January, right? And now in March, I realized something remarkable. I, I, I saw the, the, our chat and, and the, the reports that came in that while she crossed over safely, and she found a group of um, Burmese refugees who also crossed over. And she began to disciple them preached the gospel. It started from 20 people, 30 people, and after two months now, it's a congregation of 100 people. They're seeing signs and wonders, miracles every day. You know what's interesting? I don't know where I say this, but for years, we've been trying to have a, a church plant in Thailand, but it didn't materialize, either manpower or what, but due to this, right, we have an unplanned, constant Thai church plant. And we're seeing people getting saved, and even in the worst of times, this was the best of times for her because her heart was for the broken. She saw their displays without a shepherd and she said, the kingdom of God must advance in every season of life. And I, I really feel that probably her name will forever be unknown. Her sermons won't be uploaded on Facebook or, or YouTube. We won't read her books. But can you imagine the glory that she will receive in heaven? <sighs> what a soldier of God. Even in the worst of times, this was the best of times. And she knew what she was called to do. Amen. I want all of us to rise to our feet. I really feel that some of you have been contending for very long for the salvation of certain loved ones. But I want to speak to you a promise. It's like when Peter had to go back to the house church just to remind them, hey, before I go, I need to tell you this. For you to find rest in your soul, for you to find hope, two things. God is in control and miracles do happen. And I pray that this sermon this morning will remind all of you once again that God is seated on His throne. And whoever is in the sun, guess what? 
we have the Son's victory. Chains will be broken. Lives will be set free. And we cannot just sit in our default of safety and preservation, but we go against the default. Amen? Because God has given us the power, the keys of the kingdom. Let's lift up your hands. I really feel that some of you, you are contending for a breakthrough. And if you are that person, I want you to lift up your hands, whether it's relationship, whether it's finance, whether it's salvation. I want to say to you that whatever you have sold in tears and brokenness, you will reap in joy this year. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, I speak redemptive solutions in the name of Jesus. For you are good and your mercies are new every morning. That whoever is in the Son, Lord, you promise us that the Prince of Peace will defeat the snare of the enemy under our feet and we will have the Son's victory. And I speak salvation and deliverance right now in the name of Jesus. I speak the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, they will not stay in their comfort zone, they will step out in faith. They will be faithful, yet they will also take steps of faith. And I bless them right now in the name of Jesus. Let's worship with one song. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.